This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Hi, beautiful people, and happy Pride. Today we are having a gorgeous conversation with Trey Pearson, the founder and owner of his former band Everyday Sunday. If you want to see two grown adults cry together, bittersweet tears, this is the episode for you. Trey has been in the spotlight for many years, married to a woman as a gay man, and he goes through that whole story today for us. It's a beautiful story, and this man has so many credits, I'm just going to read them to you. Basically, when he came out as a Christian singer, his announcement started a national conversation with an appearance on The View. And then it was featured in the New York Times, Billboard Magazine, CNN, NBC, Out Magazine, and so many more as he became the number one trending topic worldwide on Facebook. Nowadays, Trey is GLAAD Award nominated, plays alongside the likes of the Indigo Girls, Kesha, and Queens from RuPaul's Drag Race, as well as performing at Pride festivals all around the world. Trey is performing his new songs for a PBS Pride television special with the American Pops Orchestra, and his new album, Somebody You Knew, releases on July 1st. I really hope you'll give this episode a listen. If you are someone who loves someone who is queer and is not being accepted by their family or by their community, if you are that person trying to navigate life either before you come out or after, this episode could be really beautiful and beneficial for you to listen to. So that's it. I hope you enjoy the episode with Trey Pearson. Hi, beautiful people. Thank you for joining us today. And hello, Trey Pearson. Hi, Hi. thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. So Trey and I met at the Wild Goose Festival, which is like progressive Christian gathering of people in North Carolina. That's where it was, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Springs, North Carolina. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was about a year ago now or so. And it was so beautiful to connect with Trey because he's just running around with his partner and just in so much joy. And we were just listening to music and hearing great messages from people. And it was just wonderful, as always, to see you living in your fullness and expressing that you've gone through this harrowing life tale to come out on the other side to where you are now as fully accepting of your queer identity. So I just want to get into that story, which obviously gets 
tragic and sad at a different point too, because I know your father just passed away and you too didn't have a good bit of closure before he passed. And I know that a lot of queer people share that experience. So I think it's going to be really valuable to just get into this honestly. So people feel like they're not alone because I know they're absolutely not. So I think we should just start at the beginning because you go on everyone's radar or you enter my radar as a human being in the band Taking Back Sunday. Can you talk to us a little about the creation of that band and kind of your mindset at that time and where you were in your life? Yeah, yeah. So I actually started my it was a christian rock band we were on a christian label out of nashville i started that band every day sunday when i was in high school and i I just say taking back sunday (laughs) you did it happens all the time oh my gosh Um, i'm such a i'm a little dyslexic i've said it's okay before i'd ever heard of taking back sunday (laughs) i would i was a in this mega church youth group. And I started this band every day, Sunday. And I, um, just, you know, got involved in professional theater, downtown Columbus. I'm from Columbus, Ohio. And, uh, I was getting into these musicals in middle school and junior high, and I loved it. And all of a sudden that, you know, almost 15, I got invited to this mega church youth group. And there were these kids that would write songs and play them for the youth group for like hundreds of kids. And I was like, this is awesome. And I loved performing in front of people. I taught myself how to play chords on a piano growing up. So I thought, oh, I could do this. So I started writing songs and I put together a band. And when I was 16, I named it Everyday Sunday. And then after my freshman year of college, we signed this big record deal. Um, and I started touring around the country and around the world. And uh, it was pretty insane. I, I didn't know about Christian rock music really until I started going to that youth group. I did grow up in a conservative Christian family, uh, but I hadn't been introduced to that more evangelical side of, of Christian music. And my parents were more Calvinist and I don't know, um, you know, how, how much your listeners are are familiar with uh, Calvinism, but it's sort of this idea that some people are predestined to become Christians or saved, you know, or whatever before they uh, before they're ever born, and some are predestined as children of the devil, and you have no choice in the situation; you're just one or the other. And that's how my parents raised me. And of course, we were on the anytime you believe that kind of crazy shit, you're on the you're on the good side, right? And so uh we were they, you know, my parents would tell me how much God loves me and God loves us and uh God's plan for our lives, and they want to make sure I'm one of the chosen ones. And uh and I I wanted to believe what my parents believed, and I was trying to understand it, and I from a really young age became obsessed with trying to understand the Bible and God and my parents' beliefs. And so I put all my, you know, I've always been that person that's worn all my faith on my sleeves, all my beliefs on my sleeves until they didn't work for me anymore. And that's how I was growing up. And so growing up in sort of that faith tradition going to an evangelical church that was more just like, oh, we got to get people saved and, you know, finding out about Christian music. 
Um, I found an acceptance there though, because I wanted to be like a good Christian and, um, you know, like they would always call it like a strong man of God or on uh. fire for God, or <laughs> all these triggering phrases. And um, yeah, so, you know, growing up being taught that Jesus loves all the little children of the world and then like finding out at like 11 that, oh, well, only some of them, you know, only the chosen ones felt pretty weird. And, but also like, okay, you know, trying to understand it, trying to believe it. And then my obsession with the Bible became kind of so big as a teenager i read the bible front to back six times i memorized the book of james i was in bible bowl we had buzzers oh. you know <laughs> i was very i was very cool and <laughs> and um so, i'm like you're turning me on oh my god uh, man after god's own heart <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of it had to do with um probably trying to understand these feelings that I felt and a lot of those confusing questions of whether it was doctrine stuff or why I had these strong desires to be close to other boys and um you know falling in love with the passage in the Hebrew scriptures um with Jonathan and David and first Samuel and um it was, you know, for anybody that grew up in Bible world or Hebrew scripture world, like that whole story of David is slaying Goliath. Right after that, David moves in with the king's family and becomes one in spirit with the king's son, whatever that means. But there's all kinds of um, ways to see that their their connection was way deeper than um, most heteronormative friendships. And then even after Jonathan dies, David says that Jonathan's love was greater than that of women. And I think for me as a kid, that helped me relate, uh, try to relate my, my faith and my sense of identity where I thought, well, if I could just fall or not fall in love with another boy, but if I could just become one in spirit with another boy, uh, and have that experience that intimacy that way, then maybe I wouldn't have to be gay. And so I found myself trying to do that my entire life. Um, and, uh, I did eventually marry a girl still like really learning to compartmentalize whatever I felt projected becoming one in spirit with a, another guy was, uh, finding that relationship with another man. And, um, and my hopeless romanticism of falling in love, uh, I assumed and believed with everything in me, it had to be with a girl. And so I, um, you know, I had a couple girlfriends, uh, never did any more than a peck kiss goodnight uh, at night, you know, sexual purity culture for the win there, I guess. And you yeah, know, you're like, why is this so easy? <laughs> oh, totally. All my friends struggle with it and I don't understand. And, and you know, and then of course, in all my compartmentalizing and brainwashing, I'm believing that, okay, well, these feelings that I have towards other guys, that's different because that's like more a temptation from the devil. Cause that's what I'd been taught. And, and, you know, that's a sinful thought. That's a, that's a temptation from Satan and darkness. And I just have to pray that away. Uh, but that has nothing to do with falling in love. And so mm. I really learned to compartmentalize those things really well. And of course did not realize how much I was, um, 
really pushing down and how much I would have to unpack years later by the time I finally had had my life hit the fan. So I, you know, I think I was always on that journey at the same time, dated a few girls, met a girl that I had a lot of fun with, that we laughed a lot, loved doing stuff together. And, you know, side note to any guys out there, just because you have a girl best friend does not mean you are straight. <laughs> Many gay men have girl best friends. It does not mean they should marry them. But of course, uh, oh. I grew up really being entrenched and brainwashed in this theology that made me feel like I could be something that I wasn't. And it scared me. And I remember as, you know, so many queer people talk about um, just praying from a young age, not, not for God, not to let you be that way. Uh, that really was me, but I was so, it was so much shame that I could not admit those feelings to anyone. And, um, you know, I really just thought, well, if I, quote unquote, honor God with this part of my life and um, get married, then all those feelings that I don't feel yet sexually towards girls, that'll come once I start trying to make out and have sex. And so, uh, you know, and I think this happens to obviously, um, as I believe, I, you know, I've heard you talk about a good amount is just um, that's anyone that grows up in sexual purity culture is, is, you know, how much damage that can do when there's all these expectations of this is how it's going to work if you uh, just do these certain things. And um, yeah, as a, as a gay man, it uh, fucks me up in a lot of ways. And I really had to run out of options to finally kind of have my life hit the fan and go there. And, um, you know, even in, in my relationship with my former wife, it was this taboo thing that, you know, like I thought everything would magically happen on our wedding night and that first week of our honeymoon and it didn't. And I realized very quickly where my mind would have to go to even be able to try to perform. And that, you know, obviously shame is all entrenched into that, but you know, I, I, I didn't want her to feel like she was doing something wrong and I didn't want to, I was not able to admit uh, all these feelings I had towards guys and, you know, I thought, I thought I just felt so embarrassed, but I felt like I was between a rock and a hard place, or as I like to say, not a hard place because <laughs> I, um, I just, sorry, it's, it's crazy. Uh, but I just uh, hoped, prayed, fingers crossed that it was all going to work. And then it was like, okay, well, this must be because I have thought about guys my whole life and um, I've given into sin and my thoughts and all that stuff. And uh, that's what I'd been taught. And uh, I just thought, well, this is my fault. I need to fix this. I just kept hoping it, praying it would get better. And, and you know, of course, in that taboo Christian world, you don't talk about those things because that's too embarrassing. And so all of a sudden we found ourselves seven years into a marriage that we were still hoping things would get better. And, and it took that long for us to finally face reality wow oh so many questions in there (laughs) oh don't be sorry no it's great to hear the abridged version of the story from top to bottom so now we can unpack the details because i'm i'm really curious about the psychology of it and the mental struggle and maybe some more of the the deeper questions that i haven't 
really asked anyone before. Like, I think if it's not too TMI, how does a gay man perform sexually in a heterosexual relationship? When you said you were embarrassed where your thoughts had to go, did you find that you had to imagine you were with a man? Like how Always, did you yeah. That? Yeah, um, like every time, yeah. And I felt uh, so much shame, but also so much shame that I couldn't get hard otherwise. And uh, and I was hoping if I, you know, eventually it would just change and, um, you know, obviously hurt and pain and anger that it, it wasn't and also pushing it down so far that I couldn't even allow myself to think about it too much because then I would have to face something that I was too scared to face. Absolutely. Was your um, wife at the time aware of your internal life and what was going on? No, no, I never could admit it to anyone. Wow. Oh my gosh. What a burden. So you are alone in the world in this, in these private thoughts, just trying to survive this ideology that's not working for you, that you know, like is not working for your wife as well. What was her dissatisfaction? Did it wind up making her feel, not that you can speak for her, I guess, but in your impression of what she was feeling, did she feel like there was a lack of connection or that she couldn't? Yeah, absolutely. The things that she wanted. Yeah, you know, and I think like um, she obviously was able to pick up on my lack of sexual desire, and I think it hurt her a lot. I know mm-hmm. it did, and um, she would ask what was wrong with me or with her, and I know she would um, at times, you know, project that I uh, it was something that I felt like it was something she was doing, even though I never wanted her to believe that, you know, and I, I, I I also, I really just failed miserably. Like there's no way a gay guy can be a straight woman needs him to be right. And so um, I have, and, and then I also have this problem where uh, I can't admit to myself, let alone anyone else that I'm gay. And so I'm so brainwashed. There's so much trauma there from everything I, you know, I'd call it spiritual abuse that I'd been taught my whole life growing up that I know because I was trying to live out those beliefs and trying to believe those beliefs that it ended up causing damage and pain to my wife. And um, it feels horrible. Uh, it feels horrible that I uh, couldn't admit to her those things that I felt deep down. And I know that that probably caused her more pain. And I, and I, and, and, and part of it is not even being able to admit it to myself because I keep thinking, well, maybe, why, why is this happening? It can't just be that temptation from Satan. It's got, you know, like maybe if we work on things, whether, you know, whatever that is, whether it's like, doing things to be physically attractive to each other. Like, you know, what if we go to the gym together? What if we do other things together? And all of a sudden um, I am causing even more pain by doing those things. And uh, Mm. it's really uh, sad uh, how much pain I caused. Oh, love. I, I can only imagine. And I, I, 
appreciate that you feel like a remorse and a sadness around it, but that is the real tragedy that we're indoctrinated into this culture where you are not allowed or permitted to actually discover who you are in your sexuality. Like I feel so honored to be raising a child and a son. And I realize after all that I've learned and everything that I've been through intuitively, what I know is right is to allow his sexuality to bloom before my eyes and he can show me and he can tell me what it is without ever presuming, Oh, you're straight. Oh, you're gay. Like, you know, all of these things that we have are pushing him into any sort of belief about what he's supposed to do with anything, with his gender, with his sexuality, because that lack of freedom, that compartmentalization you're talking about is so stunning to me. I've said a million times, and I'll keep saying that when I discovered the word Satan, that the root of the word in the Bible means the divider. And I too was compartmentalizing, therefore dividing my sexuality into like my spirituality over here and my disgusting sexuality over here. That is division. It's by definition, by biblical definition, satanic. So And even in those cases, our leaders and our pastors have so much remorse for what they have done to us if they have removed themselves from that culture, because they now realize that they were perpetuating these ideas that hurt so many people. It's such a tragic trickle-down effect of pain, and, and it's all based on this foundation of fear. I have... A kind of desire to like lightheartedly ask this question, even though I'm sure it's sad, but I can only imagine what kind of obstacles and hoops you both were jumping through to be attractive to each other. I was curious, like in church or when you're, you're reading literature or you're like holding on to this marriage for dear life and trying to figure it out who was giving you the ideas like, Oh, go to the gym together. And, and what kind of anxiety was that bringing to each other of like, Oh, if you can only do this, if you can only attract me to you in this way, like what were some of the actual like pieces of guidance that you were given to solve this problem? Um, I'm not sure because it was so taboo. We didn't, talk about it a lot to other people you know I mean I think she privately talked about it to uh some of the girlfriends in her life but um I could not talk about it to anyone I was just uh too ashamed too embarrassed and so when we even had those talks a lot of it at the time it felt like um you know felt like she was angry with me because um I was not being what she needed. And, and I'm sure it was a a huge mixture of anger and hurt and pain. And, you know, I think having had several years now to unpack it since I came out and learned how to accept myself and love myself. Um, I've really been able to see that, like, obviously my intent was never to hurt her. I was trying to be everything she needed me to be. I, I never wanted to cause her pain. I wanted to be, uh, the best thing in her life, just like I wanted her to be the best thing in my life. And I really thought that could happen. I would never have married her if if I didn't. And, um, the, the, the tough part is when I came out that whole church, uh, that whole church group we were around 
felt like it was easier to demonize me as a victim of being, even though I'm, I've been able to see clearly now that I, yeah, I was very brainwashed growing up. I was very brainwashed by this systemic uh, problem in the church where they teach countless LGBTQ children that they'll go to hell or that they are an abomination if they are queer. And, um, and I'm a victim of that. And I know my wife is also a victim of that. And, um, it's easier for them to all demonize me than it is for them to take any responsibility for the teachings that they've given me and countless others and that they give parents to give to their kids. And uh, it's just this ongoing problem that, yes, the world is changing, thank God, because of things like YouTube and social media where kids can find out they're not alone. But at the same time, there are still countless LGBTQ children and what should be allies growing up in churches out in the suburbs and rural areas and all over the country and all over the world still being taught that this is a sin and they're, they're wrapping shame around queer identity. And um, I know that I'm a victim of that. And I'm so, uh, yeah, I I, I feel like uh, it is angry at that system, but I feel like it's like, you know, not the, do Christianese, but it feels like a righteous anger, a pure anger, where it's like um, something that this is destroying lives. It's damaging countless lives. It's not only damaging queer people, but it's damaging uh, people uh, around their lives, right? And because you're never going to be healthy if you cannot accept this major part of yourself. It's a major part of your life. And um I've had some time to uh, stop feeling shame. And I, yes, I, of course, I uh, have regrets, but uh, I, not, not, not so much for myself, but in hurting other people. And um, I would never wish pain upon those people. But at the same time, I realized it didn't happen in a vacuum. And I was not trying to cause that pain but you know when you grow up in that world you're bound to uh to cause that so um yeah Yeah. you know it's more like trying to use my work now to to try to um point that out and 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 hope that we can continue to force change where where less queer kids grow up in that spiritually abusive um space being brainwashed to believe that they can be something they're they're not or that there's something wrong with them for who they are and uh i also have two children and um what's wonderful is they were so young when when i came out that they are able to grow up not feeling any shame around it and they know they can love whoever they want to love that they can like boys or girls or both or neither or anything in between and and they're and same with their friends. And we live in a neighborhood where a lot of their friends have LGBTQ parents. And uh, it's just a very forward-thinking place for them to be. And it's beautiful to watch how children flourish and don't feel shame or um, weight they shouldn't have to carry when they haven't been brainwashed to do so. Yes. I love hearing that because that is a redemption story, Trey. You know, I'm, I'm Mm. sure that you have so much remorse and you have regret, but at the same time in Christianity, when we talk about generational curses, 
the LGBTQ, anti-LGBTQ doctrine of the church is a generational curse that has been passed down for decades. Um, You know, our friend Rocky Roggio is doing an amazing documentary that's very in-depth about how the Bible is mistranslated and it was uh, homosexuality, that word was added in 1946. I was actually on um, a plane ride yesterday with a conservative Christian that lives in LA. And in talking to her, I told her that, and she's like, I, oh, I had no idea. Cause I was like, would you be open if I sent you a documentary that in detail laid out that that was a mistranslation, would you be open to changing your mind on that? And she said that she would be open to listening, that she had never Mm. heard it before. And the other thing I mentioned to her that I mentioned to a lot of people is that one of the fundamentals of Christianity that Jesus gives us is like the parables of the trees. And if you plant a tree and the fruit is rotten, you don't blame the fruit. You don't blame you for not succeeding at your marriage because the root, the rotten or the fruit is rotten between you and your wife. And you're not able to perform and you're not able to connect sexually. That rotten fruit is due to a rotten doctrine that doesn't work because you are meant to live in your fullness. And to your point, I think it's beautiful and so self-aware that you also bring up that this doctrine does not only cause pain to the LGBTQ person, but everyone around them, the the wife or the husband that is forced to stay in this marriage that doesn't work, there are children that are seeing the dysfunction of that, that are being raised in a household where they're not free to be themselves, even if they're poker straight, they're, they're still yeah. being set in a direction where they see you must repress certain pieces of yourself to be acceptable to God, which is again, such an anti-Christ fear-based spirit. That's the opposite of what we're meant to be doing. And it hurts communities too. If a family is kicking their child out of the house, you know, the homeless crisis that we have of LGBTQ kids on the street because their parents aren't allowing them to live where they are, another like satanic anti-christ idea that's a separation of family it's the removal of love it's it's all of it is wrong from top to bottom one of the best things that was kind of said to me when i decided to sort of face face reality is that hey your kids don't need you to stay in a miserable marriage that way you guys can all never be apart like That's nice when that gets to happen, but what your kids need is to see you choose to live your best life and to be your best self. That way they know it's okay for them too. And it it blows my mind how much fundamentalist beliefs destroy, um, destroy people all the time, you know, whether it's been used to, uh, justify crusades or slavery or LGBTQ people or women, um, it's 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 this believing that when whether it's a spiritual belief or whatever it is to say that we're right about something that you don't know uh as soon as you start with that assumption and that fundamentalist belief it's like people that assume you know uh i do i am excited for the the 1946 documentary but like I, i think it's so important yes to point that out but to also point out at the same time that hey when you decide to start with these assumptions, like God wrote the Bible, every word of the Bible, and it's <laughs> yes. inerrant or infallible, mm-hmm. or all these things that we've made up that uh, there is no reason to believe. Um, it's not like Jesus said, hey, 
few hundred years from now, these, you know, men are going to put together these books and say that it's inerrant and infallible. And if you don't believe that you're not a real Christian, like Mm -hmm. what did that ever have to do with being interested in the things Jesus had to say? But that's what fundamentalist religion has made it all about. And so it's not even the same thing as what it originally meant to like follow Jesus or follow Christ or follow the ways of Jesus. And so it's interesting to you know, one great thing about getting to tour the world with my band is seeing different places that believe and different people who believe different things in different parts of the world and how much it really opened up my mind to go, hey, could I be wrong about this? And I really don't think if I hadn't gone down that journey of um, really digging into why I believed what I believed and um, why did I think the Bible was in there errant and fallible? Why, you know, like, why did people and how did people use the Bible to oppress black people, to uh, justify slavery, to uh, keep women as property or to not let them vote? To, you know, it's you can go on through all history about how fundamentalist religion has been used for horrible atrocities. Yeah. And I do, I do think, Right now, we are at this kind of tipping point for LGBTQ people. Yes, it got legalized nationally, but at the same time, there's still all kinds of oppression going on. And I mean, you look at the rise of um, white nationalism in our country the last handful of years, and you look at the bigotry, the racism, the homophobia. Uh, it's easy to see that a lot of this, just yeah, the transphobia, it just, um, a lot of it's laying below the surface. And thank yeah, I guess that's an improvement in the sense that uh, it's becoming less and less culturally acceptable to do so. But man, the right person gives these people power to express their bigotry and hatred, and it happens. And we still see it coming through gun violence right now. We see it coming through the, you know, the hate anti don't say gay bills in Florida, the um, let's attack drag queens for some reason. Like it's, it's, it's nonstop. And these people will try to distract you with all kinds of other things all the time. But it's like, you know, very easy to see that we still have a long way to go. And I get messages all the time from people that are, that are caught in the trenches of this stuff. Caught in the trenches as in they're still believing that rhetoric or they're being um, they're from a family that believes in it or their uh, kid is in school in Florida and they're not supposed to talk about their gay dad or um, they're married. They're still married to uh, the opposite gender when they identify as gay or uh, countless things, you know, countless things. There's, there's kids who still have uh, parents who they're afraid to come out to Uh, like this is still happening today. And it's why it's important for us to share our stories and to talk about our truth. So, so these kids find out they're not alone and there's way more of us than they think. And that's why it's important seeing LGBTQ representation and, and TV and film and, and music. And I just think, yeah, that stuff adds up. And I know that it's the, countless people that were sharing brave enough to share their stories before I came out that gave me the freedom to finally accept myself and the power to accept myself. And, um, yeah, I think there's a lot of weight in 
in us telling our stories and sharing our journeys. And it, it's not only freeing and therapeutic for ourselves, but it helps be one more brick in, or a layer uh, in other people's lives to help help them find freedom as well. And yeah. Yeah. So speaking of that, I would love to hear like these three tiers in your story. One mm-hmm. being if there was a certain moment when you set yourself free, like when you yourself was like, I'm not doing this anymore. You're breaking point, Mm -hmm. like whatever that may be. And then the second tier being like the expression of that to your wife and how that went over. And then the third tier being the moment when you went into the world and really allowed yourself to be this person and how it felt. Because if we're talking about sharing story, I really want any LGBTQ person out there listening to hear what it feels like to go through that terrifying, I'm sure, experience of reckoning with yourself internally, then reckoning with your relationship and your children, and then living in that fullness and that expression. I think for me, um, I was slowly touring around the world with my band and on this kind of journey of progressing this is every day Sunday with my you- band every day Sunday. Okay. Yeah. And, and seeing, um, Hey, maybe I, I don't think the Bible is inerrant or infallible and maybe I still can, uh, love the stories and the message of Jesus, uh, without having to think these exact fundamentalist beliefs and um maybe if at the very least the idea of being a christian is loving god and loving your neighbor whatever god is you know if the closest we can understand what it is to love god or the universe is to love your neighbor and that is what it is to to be one with christ you know to be one with the universe to be one with god and if that's what it means to be a christian to follow jesus whatever um that's kind of where i was getting to in my own journey and and i do remember thinking um even um as i was having my second child uh maybe it's not a sin to be gay but it still didn't feel like an option for myself because hey i'm committed my life to this person. I've got two kids. Um, you know, I'm living the dream of getting to have these beautiful children and who am I to even go there? Of course I couldn't go there because I was so brainwashed and I had compartmentalized so hard and pushed it down so deep. And then, um, to be honest with you, uh, I definitely, uh, developed unhealthy desire to, um, well, unhealthy for for being a married man committed to someone, a uh, desire to uh, to find that he, Jonathan David. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay, intimacy, yeah, yeah. and mm-hmm. and so I I'd never thought of any of my guy relationships as gay, and it's not like I was hooking up with them. But I look back at some of these relationships, and they were. Um, pretty um gay <laughs> and uh and uh like there was like some sort of like erotic energy yes. happening yeah. so you were actually like sexually faithful throughout your marriage you know i would have said that i was um when i came out uh because i never had sex with a guy and um never tried to hook up with a guy but i look back at um you know a couple of my relationships and I'm, I, I, you know, I do believe that it, 
was, I don't think, I don't, I don't think it was probably faithful, you know, and I won't go too far into detail in this podcast, but I look back and I'm just like, uh, maybe, um, I don't think my intentions were bad, but I think I was so desperate for male intimacy. And, you know, when you're touring on the road with guys, sometimes you, uh, it's, it's easy to find that. And, um, and, and to brush it off as not gay. And, uh, and so. Well, how can it be gay if you're not gay? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And if if you're not doing the deed of, of like making out or having sex, you know? And so it's like, how far can you push that without, um, you just, I I really calling yourself gay. And this episode is also sponsored by better help because we all deserve to ask for and receive the help that we need. The human experience is not easy. I know so many people have benefited from therapy, and let's be honest, reaching a personal goal of being healthy, mind, body, and soul is no easy feat. The therapist at BetterHelp can empower you to face anxiety, fear, insecurity, depression, relationship woes, trauma, you name it. If you're facing a dilemma, large or small, BetterHelp can help. If you're a bit wary of therapy, BetterHelp is an excellent option because you can customize the experience to you. You can choose between text if you don't want to be seen, phone or video calls, and the therapists are matched to your personal needs. BetterHelp is more affordable than in-person therapy, and you'll be matched with your therapist in under 48 hours. Join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is all about. And as a special offer to In the Gray listeners, you can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash gray. That's betterhelp.com slash gray. Thank you again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast episode. It's very sweet the way you're framing this. I think, I think it's lovely that you obviously like really wanted to live with honor, but I, I like, it sounds like you did, you were really honoring as much as you could in these situations. I was trying, you know, and I know people that weren't like, you know, that did, that were married and did go have sex with other men and, or women with women and, and cheated. And, um, and what I hate is, and I, and then I know people that never even got to experience the kind of intimacy with other the same sex that I did. And so I think like, it's weird because being in a band, maybe almost made it easier for it to, the, 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 that insanity of denial to last longer, uh, because I was able to find some of that male intimacy without, uh, you know, I guess in my mind having sex or making out or whatever. And so, um, but you know, my, my thing is, you know what, I know lots of guys that did end up having sex and it's not fair to shame them either because uh, like, of course, yeah, they messed up, they fucked up, they hurt their wives. That's not okay. Uh, but, or vice versa. I know women that did the same thing. Um, but at the same time to start to demonize them as a victim of this, uh, this systemic abuse by the church, uh, I don't think is fair to, to, it's not like that happened in a vacuum, you know, and, and and I think what is more important is to say, Hey, no, what's really fucked up is how the church made these people feel like that was their only option to survive. And I don't think that's fair. 
And so like, for me, whether I had sex or not, like, I almost don't even like talking about it because it's like, who cares if I did? Yeah. I mean, does it change anything? You know, it doesn't, whether I went over my mental line of what's gay or what's not doesn't matter, you know, because what's really screwed up is that there's this systemic abuse in the church that causes people like me to feel like that's the only option. And it, it hurt, it hurts me. It hurt my wife and it hurts tons of people and um it hurts our families it hurts you know it, it, it doesn't end uh and that's why it's you know so passionate for me to see that change and wow. um so yeah um but so what happened is um basically there's a guy who i was close to um like i said we had met we i look back and i'm like yep our relationship was pretty gay he's the first guy that ever kissed me on the lips as a joke and uh that joke hilarious kept <laughs> yeah kept happening for two years but like you wow. know very innocent like like you know um <laughs> in my mind very european like oh my god but you know like there's places jonathan david talk about kissing and you know so like i'm oh. justifying it but like at the same time i have all these butterflies and feelings and i know he does too because of the way our relationship was and in my mind we weren't crossing the line but then uh, there was a time that three days before my life hit the fan, he came up like he was going to kiss me. He'd done it in front of my wife. And this time he uh, slipped his tongue in my mouth and that had never happened. And a few days later, it's a long story, but told someone that uh, a pastor that he thought I might be gay uh, three days after he slipped his tongue into my mouth and um, had started dating a girl for several months. And uh, then he uh, the pastor encouraged him that they should warn my wife. And, uh, and, um, all of a sudden we were forced to talk about this taboo thing we had never been able to talk about. And so, um, she asked me for the first time ever in a serious way, are you gay? And I had everything running through my mind. I'd never been able to admit it to myself, let alone anyone else. I didn't think it was a sin anymore. My life's falling apart. I'm losing my best friend. Um, and I'm now as bad as things are with my wife. If I say no, it's going to get even worse. But if I say yes, how can I say yes? I've never been able to admit this before. And all I had the strength to do in that moment as my mind is racing through a million things was to say, I don't know, but I think I need to get help. And uh, and the uh, year before, I went to Wild Goose for the first time, and I was not out, but I was progressing. I, I actually went on a podcast called Humbrewed Christianity to talk about why I didn't think it was um, a sin to be gay and how I'd progressed in my beliefs, but I wasn't th- saying it as an option for myself. And mm-hmm. um, and then. That was the day I, the night I met the first ever gay pastor I had ever met. And uh, that blew my mind. I was like, wow, the pastor who's gay. And, um, and so I met affirming pastors and, and people that didn't think it was a sin to be a gay that still cared about their faith. And, um, and so when, when, after my wife asked me that, I reached out to an affirming pastor friend of mine and I started sharing with him. He, he was sharing with me a divorce he had gone through the year before at Wild Goose. And um, anyway, he was not gay, but he was just talking about this hardship of being in a being a pastor and the um, judgment for getting divorced. And so yeah. uh, 
I started telling him everything I'd felt since I was a kid that Jonathan and David desire and, you know, all these things I'd ever felt my whole life. And after we'd been talking for like an hour, hour and a half for the first time in my life, I ever said out loud to somebody, I said, I think I might be gay. And I just bawled and bawled. And um, honestly, from that point, um, for to the end of that year, for those three months, uh, I promise you there was not five days that I didn't completely bawl my eyes out. And, um, and it was just like this, this stuff, this, you know, um, this darkness, this, um, trauma, this, um, pent up, uh, feelings that I'd never been able to say out loud to anyone. Um, and, and, and the darkness just being the, the, the belief that I had to, um, push it down, that I had to pretend it wasn't there, that I had to convince myself that it was just a temptation from Satan. Um, all that trauma, of decades finally bursting out and putting words to it oh what that sounds so cathartic oh love I know you made me cry for a second too I that's stunning and and beautiful yeah and so he uh he got he got me with um a counselor friend of his and um me and my former wife started talking to this counselor therapist separately and then um eventually together but it was during that time that i finally came out to myself and to her and to my family and um and also during that time hearing uh these other people from my former church and people that i would have called friends um spreading all kinds of things about me a lot that weren't true some that were and uh realizing you know what I do not want other people telling my story for me. I want to tell my story on my own terms. And I want, and I really, uh, you know, at that time of putting words to these feelings, I knew that there were several major reasons I wanted to tell my story on my own terms. One, because there are countless kids and, and adults that have grown up like me that have felt like it's not okay to be themselves, that, you know, if I can use my story to help them, I want to be able to do it. Two, I want to do it in a way that as my kids get older, that they'll be able to see how I decided to do what when I came to that truth about, accept that truth about myself. And, and I want them to be proud of how I did it. And, um, and three, you know, uh, I know closet, you know, I was in Christian music for so long. I got so influenced by it as a teenager. And I can tell you there are closeted quote unquote Christian rock stars to this day that still live deeply in that closet. And um, for those people, it is easier for them to keep getting that money and have that sort of subculture fame in that, you know, in that bubble and that acceptance by their tribe uh, than it is to realize um, that they can find freedom for themselves or to realize how much they're part of a system that's oppressing other people. And um, I didn't want to be a part of that anymore. You know, I, I thought, well, I could tell you a Christian rock star that if he would have come out when I was a kid, it would have uh, totally been Thank able to affect that. my life in a huge way. And wow. I thought, well, if I had the chance to use my story to help somebody else, I want to do that. And, and I really wanted to do it. Um, 
honestly, uh, sooner than later, because I did not, I kept hearing people telling me stories of what other people were saying. And I, I, I knew I wanted to do it on my terms. And so, uh, so I started making a list of people that I wanted to come out to before I came out publicly. Um, I didn't know how I wanted to do it. And I, uh, I just decided I'm going to write out my sto- like story. I'm going to write out this coming out letter to people. And it, it started with people that I wanted to tell personally, but then writing it out in a way that I can share with people that had been following my music. And I randomly, well, after I kind of um, had a huge falling out in my life with people, uh, when my life hit the fan, I was not able to tour with my band every day Sunday anymore and uh I had to cancel a tour and I did not know how I was going to pay the bills so I was temporarily driving for Uber trying to figure out how I was going to survive and my you know I felt like I'd hit rock bottom and just you know I'd been doing music my whole adult life and all of a sudden I couldn't and I had to figure out how I was going to support my kids and keep a roof over our you know our heads and um, I was driving for Uber, got, had a guy get in my car and he asked me, he's like, so, uh, you know, what do you do when you're not driving for Uber? And I just was like, kind of slowly telling people that in my life that I was gay. And it was every time I said it, I felt a little more free, a little more powerful and like, it didn't have a hold over me anymore. And to go, you know, your whole life, not ever saying that to finally being able to say it felt so liberating and so when he asked me i was just like ah well i usually tour around the world in a christian rock band but i just came out of the closet to my wife (laughs) and i had to cancel my tour (laughs) and he was like holy shit (laughs) and uh we started talking and i had no idea who he was but it turned out he was the editor-in-chief for the biggest Columbus magazine in the city called 614. He's like, hey, um, would you ever consider telling your story? And I was like, oh, uh, maybe. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, and it was at that same time I was going to the gay bar for the first time. Oh, well, we, have, we have a bunch in Columbus. I think we have like 16 or 17 queer bars in Columbus right now. But uh, the biggest one is the highest grossing bar in the entire city of Columbus. They have a dance club across the street. And I had got, just started going there for the first time. And I ran into this guy. Uh, it was the first time I went in there, I believe. And I was like so nervous. I went by myself and I was like, I'm just going to go to the restroom. I'm going to sit at the bar, get a beer and people watch. And so I'm coming out of the restroom and all of a sudden I hear somebody go, Trey? <laughs> Uh-oh. And you know, I was like, oh gosh. <laughs> and, and he worked there. He he stuck his head out of the VJ booth uh, where they did the music videos from. And he's like, what are you doing? And he didn't even finish the sentence. I was like a deer in headlights. And he's like, I knew it. <laughs> and he just hugged me. And, and what it turns out, he used to be the morning show host of the big Christian radio station in town. And he got fired from there when his um, co-host outed him. And, uh, and so he was, had become a manager at Union, the gay bar in Columbus. It's a restaurant also, and, um, great brunch. <laughs> and, uh, shout out, shout out. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> so, um, we just started hanging out. I would go in there and I'd hang with him. He'd introduce me to the 
the drag queens and the bartenders and the servers and stuff. And that's kind of where I started to find chosen family because when I came out, I literally lost almost everybody in my life. I've lived my whole life in the city and I felt like I'd been transplanted to a new city because I didn't have anyone anymore. And um, well, I had my oldest sister who's always uh, been an amazing ally and kind of ran from the church when she got to college, but, uh, she had just gotten newly married. And so, uh, but she, she was about it. And, um, and so it was kind of during that time that David, I guess, told, I did not know he was on the board for the Columbus pride festival, but he's like, Trey, you should play pride. And I was like, uh, yeah, like maybe next year. He's like, no, this year. And uh, it was about that same time that I met the guy from 614 Magazine. And so I was trying to figure out what I was going to do. And I, you know. Not to sound like a Christian, but all these divine appointments. Yeah, well, beautiful. so I, I was like, you know, kind of figuring my life out. And during that sort of time of um, deconstructing, even before I came out to myself, uh, I had met my favorite, who became my favorite author, Rob Bell. And he was speaking at a conference, him and the guy who did that Homebrew Christianity podcast, Trip Fuller. And they, they were both speaking at this uh, conference in Dallas. And they're like, hey, why don't you come spend a few days with us? And we'll talk about what your options are. And I was really looking for wisdom on how to come out, how to tell my story. And so I told them about those two, op- or I told Rob about those two opportunities. He's like, well, sounds like you already know what you're supposed to do. And I was like, oh, okay. And so I didn't try to do any sort of huge national like uh, press thing, but uh, but it came out and I reached out to one other guy that I was Twitter friends with. And he ended up uh, doing an article from the 614 magazine with religion news services and that ended up going viral and it went to AP News and the New York Times and Washington Post. And I uh, sort of uh, ended up going a little crazy. And, um, you know, I think I was just hoping I would get a little love poured out on me to to drown out some of the hate. And um, and I, yeah, that was that was a very, um, very surreal uh, moment when that happened but uh so that's you know i i only came out publicly maybe seven months after i came out to myself and a lot of it was just because i wanted to do it on my terms and in my own way and uh and yeah that's sort of what led um to going on the view and doing all those interviews with with all those people but i i i think what's obviously been wonderful is to see all the people that uh, have reached out and continue to reach out to tell me their stories back. And I think, you know, I don't know if you, you love like I do and everyone I know that the, the um, Brene Brown Ted talk about the power of vulnerability and, mm-hmm. um, you know, how that's what connects us. Uh, I just thought, well, my, my life had hit utter rock bottom. And I thought, well, if people are going to hate me for this, at least I can just be as honest as possible and hopefully it'll help somebody else. And, and that's what I chose to do. And I think that's why it connected with so many people just because I chose to be as honest as I could with trying to, you know, hopefully be respectful of my, you know, former wife and, and people in my life, but it's scary. It's scary to, put all your shit out there and let people judge you for it. But I think there's, ah, there's some freedom in being able to, um, 
recognize your failures and, um, and to be honest about it. Yeah, I actually find, surprisingly, I have found hatred and vitriol towards me really freeing because Mm. I used to um, hear a lot in church about your reputation, like your reputation is more important than rubies and pearls. And after becoming somewhat of a public figure, like a micro fame or whatever, and, and realizing you have no control actually over your reputation beyond the reputation that you hold with divinity, like beyond who, you know, you are in your heart and in your private life, then it, it is such a release to be like, okay, you know, it's like when you say something and then you're hated, you're like, I'm still standing. And there are people that resonated with this. And, and that is meaningful because I completely agree freedom and the ability to live as the divine made you is more valuable than anything. Like part of my French fuck a reputation with the world, because a lot of times we are confining ourselves to, to a world that is warped and is not benefiting yeah. us in, in our holistic faith and love. And what's great is when you, um, when you have the people that matter to you, when you know they love you and, and you're loved and you're worthy of love, then yeah, like I, I can relate like in the sense of um, it's nice to not feel like you need, it's draining to try to get everyone to like you, first of all. And <laughs> <Yeah>. honestly, <laughs> if everyone does like you, you're probably not a very great person in standing up for marginalized people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, so it's like, oh, well, is, who is it that hates me? Is it, is it the people still living in that world of fear? And uh, and what does that, does that say? about me and what does it say about them and um man there is some there is some liberating uh goodness and you know it's like gosh like i had uh people sending me links to like christian articles about me when i came out about uh conservative radio hosts comparing me being gay to a pedophile and saying it's the same thing and and it and thank god the world is changing a little bit where honestly all the love that came out you know it was the number one trending topic in the world on Facebook and Twitter when I came out. And I, I just thought, well, I'm sure some people will talk about it. But like, <laughs> I would have never thought it's going to be that talked about. Wow. It's not like I was Amy Grant coming out, you know? Uh, and so, apparently it was, <laughs> well, but I think what was more interesting, like, you know, I definitely toured a lot. We had a, you know, a handful of number one singles, but we were not like some, you know, top tier whatever like uh we had a good following and we'd played thousands of shows and what i think is interesting about christian music is most kids grow up listening to christian music and they stop listening to it by the time they're in college or they're a young adult right and so i think what was probably interesting is a lot of people that listen to my band when they were younger um not believing a lot of those you know um fundamentalist insane beliefs anymore going oh I used to listen to him and I think maybe that was almost more interesting but I I also think it's just that um that vulnerability factor of going hey um I grew up in this faith system I mean how many of us in the U.S. I think it's uh 85 percent of LGBTQ people in the U in the U.S. grew up in conservative Christian or Catholic families and or Protestant or Catholic Christian families and uh 
And it's like so many of us come from that oppressive, spiritually abusive world, and it takes a hell of a lot of work for us to finally love ourselves. And so when you do, you you know what it's like to have to do that work. And I think, you know, I think that's maybe the thing that resonated with a lot of people. I'm not sure. But uh, but yeah, it was very surreal. And I'm, I'm just glad that I got to use my story to to share with so many people. But I also and, and, and to hear stories about how it's helped people. Uh, but I know I wouldn't have been able to do that if it wasn't for the countless queer people that shared their stories before me. And, um, you know, it, it's meaningful to be in the long line tradition of that. And, uh, and, and I'm sure it made hearing the hatred easier because I did have so much love being poured out on me, but I, I think, you know, unfortunately that's just kind of part of having to do the work as a queer person is you have to accept that there are people that are not going to love you and that aren't going to like you and are going to talk shit about you. And you have to go, Oh, who cares? It's way more fun and beautiful to love myself and experience this freedom and this joy. Yeah. I, I love how you put it, which is that, you know, are we going to go out there and try to assimilate to people who are living in fear? Because I would argue that people think that they don't love you or they think they don't like you because of what you're saying or because of your queerness. But in reality, it's a projection of their own fear and their own spiritual abuse that makes them believe that they have to disregard your identity and diminish you in some way and uphold this toxic system that they have been born into. So it's not even a dislike of you. It's a, it's a projection of their fear at you. And to go into that segue, um, I just have two more questions. Yeah. One of them is sad. And then the last one will be happy. So before we end, I did want to acknowledge that your father did pass away and you two never had a bit of closure. You never garnered that acceptance from him as a queer person. So for anyone who is listening that is not experiencing acceptance from the people that they love, do you have any thoughts or advice or have you processed anything through that experience that would be beneficial for them to hear? um, I think it was hard you know, when I came out, I just thought, man, if I could just convince my parents to, to take a chance on just loving me and withholding their judgment and just trying to understand me. And I wanted it so badly. And I kept hearing so many people say, oh, they'll come around, they'll come around. And the more stories I was hearing from other people that came out uh, was that, oh, sometimes they do. And sometimes they don't. And it's not helpful to have people say, oh, they're going to come around because you don't know. And and unfortunately, in my case with my my dad, um, we were really close when I was growing up. I, I loved hanging out with my dad. He was my baseball coach, uh, basketball coach. Like we were, we did a lot together. He would drive me downtown to take me to the theater. We'd go out to eat together afterwards. Um he was always really involved in my life as a kid. And it's hard to hear the stereotype growing up that, oh, well, gay people are gay because they don't have a good relationship with their father. And, I, and, and, and then I think what 
is sad is the older I got and the more I started progressing in the way I saw my faith and the way I saw uh, the Bible and God, um, that is what made him distance himself from me because I didn't believe like he did anymore. And then by the time I came out, well, that was sort of the the last straw where he didn't want to be involved in my life anymore. And I would see him here and there with some family things, but it was always very awkward and tough with him and my mom and other family members. And it got to this point where I felt so unwelcome around my family that I needed to figure out how to come up with strong boundaries for myself, for my own mental health, for my own well-being. And so I was able to find a lot of joy and peace. And of course, it made me sad being away from my family, but it was way more joyful and happy being away from them than it was being with them. And that was a tough thing for me to accept and to process. But that's something that I had to do in those first few years after coming out. And so about a month before my parents were in a car accident uh, a few months ago, um, my mom reached out because I told my parents that me and the kids would not be coming for Christmas and something really uh, traumatic happened at Christmas a couple years before. But I, uh, I, I'm sorry. My mom texted me and she, uh, she said that her and dad were willing to get coffee with my boyfriend and I, and this was right after I had told them, you know, we weren't going to come to Christmas. And, um, and my dad had not been willing to meet my boyfriend after he'd been dating almost two years. And so I was trying not to get my hopes up too much because I have always wondered how much that was my mom pushing him because she was my rock of unconditional love until I came out. And then when I came out, I lost that with her, you know, and my oldest sister became that for me, but I, uh, it was devastating. And I never knew how much of my mom not being in my life was her true feelings or her trying to submit to my father in that patriarchy. And, um, and so then a few months ago, uh, about a month after my mom said they were willing to get coffee, they never followed up to, to make it happen at that point yet. But, um, my dad had went unconscious at the wheel. We believe he had a heart attack or something of that nature. And, um, my parents were in a wreck and my father passed away and it's hard. It's hard not getting to say goodbye, not getting to have any closure. And, um, as somebody who still would call myself a Christian, but probably in the loosest, most progressive way possible. Um, obviously none of us know for sure, but we're on a ball spinning in space and, I like believing that we're not just here for no reason, that we're not here for nothing. And I like hoping 
And I guess that's all faith is to me at this point. It's this hope that maybe there's something more. And I don't mind calling that God. And I don't care what anyone else wants to call it. The spirit, universe, whatever. I just like higher consciousness. I like believing that we are connected. And I like believing that somehow my dad's conscious spirit can love me in a way that he couldn't while he was here. And that he now understands the work that I've been doing these last several years and that he can be proud of me in, in a way that he was not able to while he was here. And since then, um, my mom, she's apologized a lot. I, uh, I have a song that I wrote after coming out called Hey Jesus. And uh, I put it out before already. And um, and uh, seems to be one of those songs that keeps growing and people keep messaging me that they found out about. And I have a special re-release of it with similar on my new album coming out i'm really excited about that but i also just got to perform it for this pbs special and um it's just one for me one of the most um meaningful songs i've ever written and i had assumed my mom listened to it but like you know i didn't know like to what degree uh she knew my my solo music since i've come out and uh as she was in the hospital, she broke her, she broke her collarbone. She broke both arms. She wow. cracked her pelvis. She cracked a bone in her foot. Um, um, severe um, contusions all over her body. And she was in the ICU when we found out my father had passed away and they hadn't let us back to see her yet. So when me and my two sisters went back to see her, um, which I, I do want to say my other sister has come around just in the last couple of years as well. But, uh, we were all there together with her when she found out that my father was gone and she, she was so broken physically that she could not shake in the way she had to wow. finding out her husband was gone and, um, we're there holding her crying and she just starts singing my song. Hey, Jesus. And to, oh, no. to soothe herself. <laughs> and we just all bawled and um and she kept apologizing because she's like, I know we didn't do this right with me. And <laughs> she's like, I'm so sorry. I know. And I just even told her back at Christmas a few months ago, before that, I, I said, Are you guys just gonna wait? till it's too late to be involved in me and my kids lives and i think it hit her at that point that yeah they waited till it was too late and and i started sleeping on the floor of the hospital with her and so did my sisters and we'd take turns every you know rotate every night and uh we've just been with her and all of a sudden my mom's back in my life and back in my kids lives and um there's another song that I'd written a few months back that is also, I would say, just as meaningful to me as Hey Jesus called Broken Heart. It's a song I wrote to my parents that I finished it. I got the final mix back for the new album a week before my parents were in the car accident and I uh, just released it a few weeks ago. And uh, the week before it came out, I sat down with my mom and told her about it and she asked to listen and she bawled and she continues to apologize and seems to want to make things right. And 
just yesterday, me and my boyfriend and my kids were over at her her new place. And uh, wow. just being with her, me and Jonathan went and got her groceries while the kids played with her. We shared and she's just she's just really trying. She is uh, she has a good friend over these last several years, um, two good friends that have a gay son and uh, that also um, very um, Christian people. And I think that even they have uh, been trying to be a good influence in my parents' lives to show them their love for their gay son. And, uh, and me and their son have actually become really close. And, uh, and uh, my mom sat down with this new song, Broken Heart, that I'd written to her and my dad. And I guess the day it came out, her, her and her friends with the gay son, they listened to it over and over and they all messaged me and just talked about how much it meant. And then my mom, she sent me screenshots of her watching me on the PBS special and uh, <laughs> singing, you know, and just um, tell, telling me how much it brought her to tears. And she's, she's just really making an effort. And uh, it's so sad. And we've talked about it. And every time it's just her and I, she'll want to dig into these tough things to talk about, which I tried for years to get her to dig into those things and she could never go there. She was so paralyzed um, emotionally to even be able to talk about it. And now she's the one digging to talk and um, just talking about how she's so happy that uh, we're back in her life and that I'm back in her life as her son. And she's also so sad of what had to happen for it to happen. And we we're both grieving that, you know, it's a lot, it's a lot. And I think we're just um, taking it a step at a time. Yeah. Your story has so much redemption in it. It's such a gorgeous story, Trey. And I'm, I, I love what you said about your father's consciousness, like entering another plane where he would absolutely be able to accept you and your identity. And I absolutely believe that. And yeah. I have been like, learning more about death and everything because our culture has, we have such a culture of silence around death. So I've been following mm. more everyone from mediums to death doulas to people who work in um, <laughs> what's it called? The end of life uh, hospice nurses, like oh, just yeah. talking about their observations of death and, you know, how there are just standards that happen every single time. They say almost every single time your old pets arrive and then your old family members arrive and then they take you wherever. Um, mm. So there's just so much like as a spiritual person, there's so much hope in my heart that these were divine appointments. And I don't, I love the idea of neutrality. Like when you read Eckhart Tolle, for example, living in the presence yeah. is, is meaning that you don't ascribe things as good or bad. Everything is neutral and your objective is to just remain present and in love. And just from the bird's eye view, not having to live in the intense difficulty and pain of that situation, it looks like to me, I would guess even your father had a hand in the way this is all played out. And that mm. is probably a part of his penance to you as well, reuniting you with the rest of your family, you know? It's really beautiful. Well, uh, Thank you. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's like, I think as a kid, uh, I had so many questions. I was infinitely uh, 
intrigued by the, those deep questions in life, right? And at some age, you're taught not to ask those questions because we have all the answers right here in the Bible, everything we need to know. Yeah. And you, you know, don't ask about your friend that you met at um, this youth camp where he's Hindu and if he's going to heaven, you know, like that wasn't acceptable. And um, don't ask about those, that, that the older gay couple you met at the theater, you know, like that wasn't acceptable. And, um, but I, you know, I, had this little, uh, probably somewhat existentialist spirit as a kid. And I see it the same thing in my son who were even at like five years old, he was very curious about uh, why we're here and what happens when we die. And will we, will, will we always be together? And, you know, I remember just at that young age, him asking me, dad, what if one day I'm here and you're not? And, um, and, and as, a, as a, someone with so much hope, that uh, there is something more going on, you know, that we are connected, that that um, that it's not just this and then no- nothing ever again, that we don't get to remember the beauty of all this. And I desire to give that hope to my children. And um, I like to believe that we'll always be together somehow. And um, I have needed that hope these last few months with my dad. And um of course, there are things we just can't know and don't get to. And I've learned to be okay with that, but I've also learned it's also okay to have hope. Amen. Yeah. Final question. Yeah. Um, describe to me, if you will, how it feels to be in relation with the sex that you're actually attracted to with your boyfriend. <laughs> what does it feel yeah. like? on the other side of all unbelievable (laughs) the thing that strikes me the most often over these last few years since coming out has been i cannot believe most people get to experience this stuff as teenagers and young adults Mm -hmm. that most people never lived a major part of their life thinking that they would never get to experience this you know and um to start experiencing all these first, these first kiss, the first, you know, time having sex or any kind of like, um, intimate situation without shame. Uh, all those things is so beautiful. And I'll tell you the first time I, um, had sex with a guy, which, you know, I usually accidentally say first time having sex. I'm like, Oh yeah, you have two kids. It's not your first time. Having sex. <laughs> but the, the first time I experienced that, I <clears throat> literally was, holding back tears because I couldn't believe that was how it was supposed to feel. Mm. And to, to get to finally experience so many of these things, to experience uh, crushes and love and um, yeah, just natural uh, physical attraction and not be shameful about it. And, but it's mutual and you can both, uh, be in it together. That's just, man, it's so beautiful. And to raise my kids in a way where, um, where they both will be able to feel that for themselves without shame, whether they're straight or queer, uh, or for their friends that might be queer. Uh, it's just without the shame that or fear of, um, something being wrong with them uh i think i think that's really beautiful and i i I am so excited for them to get to grow up in a way uh that is so much less 
drenched in fear. And I, you know, of course, I think you could probably relate as a parent, you know, so much unlearning, you're trying to hope to give your kids as little to unlearn as possible. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. I accidentally said something that embarrassed him the other day and I was like, oh no, my baby's first trauma. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, this has been such a pleasure, Trey. Thank you for sharing with so much openness and I, Mm. what a gorgeous story. And I'm just so Um, grateful for you. Well, from the moment uh, I got to get to know you a little bit last summer, I have just loved your spirit and I love uh, how you're willing to go there and and talk about the deeper things. And um, so I've, I I was really excited. excited when you first asked me to come be a part of this but um i just i just really think the world of you brenda and and it means a ton for you to have me on here and to get to do this and i and on camera and off i look forward to doing this more and i can't wait to see you again oh me too oh we're in love (laughs) yeah going back (laughs) and it doesn't mean we have to get married there you go (laughs) well thank you so much for being here everyone we love you all so much please like subscribe share with your friends donate to my patreon or venmo if you can love you god bless